My name is Alfred Hitchcock, and I would like to tell you about my forthcoming lecture. It is about the birds and their age-long relationship with man. Season 7, episode 12, we roll on, Tony, I'm Matty Blake, that's Tony Arkin. Still is, hey. How's Brooklyn? Brooklyn's nice, it's a nice time of year, everything's very pretty here. Same. I'm sure, I'm sure where you are is just fantastic. Yeah, beautiful. I just had my, uh, like, uh, spring cleaning of my yard, with new mulch and everything. It looks quite lovely, although my allergies are miserable, as you might be able to hear my voice. Uh, every April, May, I go through it. For those who suffer from springtime allergies, you feel my pain. I do. Well, I, I don't, but I do. From here, I'm pointing to my chest. From here up, it's just awful. Like, I feel great. I could work out if I wanted to, but from, from here up to the top of my head, it's just like I want to cut my entire head off. It's funny because that's just what your agents were talking about. It's amazing what I've achieved in life with none of this working in any measurable way. <laughs> the top quarter, just yeah, not. Just, yeah. Just nothing there. Yeah. And the shoulders yet, are working. You get the shoulders. Yeah, working. The shoulders are okay. So it's really, it's just like the middle part of the chest up through the neck and head yeah. is not working. I got yeah. you. Yeah. The brain uh, activity is very sure. minimal, but yeah. we are going to get that brain fired up because we're talking Hitchcock. Uh, I would say I can't believe for the first time, but he's not really a paranormal film director, as it were, as we have defined it. Although this might be the movie, this might be the movie that 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 crosses over. Well, yeah, I think that's why I'm so excited today, because it's it's. I mean, I love Hitchcock movies, and I really think this is literally the only one that could be discussed on the show. Um, yeah, and, and even even that is hanging mm. a little bit by a thread, but I yeah. th still think it qualifies for discussion, and so I'm 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 very psyched. I mean, none I, of the other ones are are uh, at all really uh, not plausibly possible. They're all, you know, killers or crazy right. people or you know, you know, being chased. Oh, that's all yeah. stuff that happens to me on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think you know day one or two of this whole podcast, we literally read the definition of paranormal. It's kind of anything unexplainable by the normal, what we call the quote unquote normal sciences, as it were, which is a whole nother debate. But um, yeah, you know, this movie certainly trends into like, why did the birds do what they do? Um, it's a mystery, uh, which we'll talk about, which is something I love dearly about it, actually. Um, but yeah, so we're going to finally get to some Hitchcock. I'm very excited. Um, the birds, uh, of course, you know, the movie, if you're, if you're into this podcast, you're probably into movies. So we don't have to explain to you the, the importance of this movie and how big it is um, and how famous it is. Uh, it's also old, though, so I don't assume that all our listeners know everything about it. So we'll take our time and, and go through it. There's a lot here um, inspired by Rod Taylor, who is the lead male uh, actor in this movie. Our top three tonight. Tony, what's our top three tonight? Our top three high pants high waisted pants i guess is what yes you mean. yes high waisted uh, pants top three high waisted pants in film history pants pulled up or really, entertainment really, history yeah really high unnaturally unusually high yes not like, just pulled up either designed that way built, yes like built, built that to way. be unusually mm -hmm. uncomfortably high like in an put it this way, in an incredible movie that you're totally into, you can't stop thinking about how high the pants are. Yeah, and how uncomfortable that has to be to not have any ergonomic design built right. into your pants. It's very difficult mm -hmm. to act that way. Ah, oh, the good old days. So uh, let's get into it, Tony. First of all, can we just talk Hitchcock in general? Um, you being the film expert you are. Tuh. I mean, there's like a debate in the sports world, there's a term that's being used all the time now called the goat, the greatest of all time. And people will do a goat emoji and they'll say, Tom Brady is the goat or, you know, Michael Jordan's the goat, um, you know, impossible to do in the arts. But I think a lot of people would consider a fair amount of people consider Alfred Hitchcock, the goat of these type of movies, the goat of suspense movies. Um, where does he rank for you? 
Well, I don't, I don't know about, I like real goats, but I don't know about this goat uh, system of rating. I, I'm not a fan of that. I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. I don't, maybe it's because I'm not, maybe all sports people wanted to figure out what the best is. And I know there's a lot of top three, top 10. We do a lot too. Of rankings. Yeah. And I, I kind of don't really think that way about movies I, I i just experience them kind of more for what they are what they're trying to give and everybody's style is so different i mean it's so hard to compare people but yeah i mean if you're talking about suspense just suspense thriller films i i mean yeah i guess you kind of have to give it up to hitchcock I, I, he's his name is synonymous with it not even this whole name, just part, just just one part of his name means yeah. terror to yeah. to the glo- to everybody, and so yeah, I guess I guess so. You know, I mean, nobody has his track record. Yeah, just in terms of sheer amount of movies, and and they never strayed from the formula really, except a couple times. Um, maybe he is the greatest of all time. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not qualified enough to say if anyone did it, quote unquote, better. I can just tell you that I've never seen one of his movies where I just wasn't absolutely wrapped. And, you know, not in a negative way, but thinking about how he is doing this to me. You know, I'm literally going like he is just I'm on the edge of my seat. He's a master, you know, Um you know, they to use another sports analogy, they talk a lot in uh, the sport of tennis. Now, I'm not a tennis player, but people say like. There's a guy named Roger Federer, and he's mm-hmm. considered one of the best ten- tennis players of all time. And they say that really great tennis players can alternately, you know, smash the ball at you and then lightly make you run for it on the next play. So you're always on your heels. They'll 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 lure you in and then smash you back, and then lure you in and smash you back. And I feel like uh, Hitchcock does that so well, and in this movie he does it so well. Sometimes he warns you what's coming. And then other times it comes out of nowhere. And so you're mm-hmm. never fully, as you say, you're never fully feel like you're at safe hands. You're never fully comfortable. Mm. And yeah. even the kind of benign conversation scenes, he twists on its head. So let's start right at the beginning of the movie with one of those, what I thought was a benign conversation scene. Um, Pippi Hedren, who's our lead actress in this film, uh, is in a store buying, looking for birds to purchase a bird. And uh, a man played by Rod Taylor comes in and they have, they start having this dialogue, this kind of uh, fun, like a, what do they call those? Like meat, meat, meat cute, meat cute scenes. Yes. It's a meat cute scene. Or so you think it seems like one of those scenes, like they're really in love and they're going to embrace any second now. Uh, and it's not that it's very much not that it's kind of subversive and weird and off-putting in a way when you find out who he is and what she's, she's about. Back in your gilded cage, Melanie Daniels. What did you say? I was merely drawing a parallel, Miss Daniels. How did you know my name? A little birdie told me. Good day, Miss Daniels. Madam? Hey, wait a minute. I don't know you. Ah, but I know you. How? We met in court. We never met in court or any place else. That's true. I'll rephrase it. I saw you in court. When? Don't you remember one of your practical jokes that resulted in the smashing of a plate glass window? I didn't break that window. Yes, but your little prank did. Judge should have put you behind bars. What are you, a policeman? I merely believe in the law, Miss Daniels. I'm not too keen on practical joking. Well, what do you call your lovebird story, if not... Oh, I really wanted the lovebird. Well, you knew I didn't work here. You deliberately... Right, I recognized you when I came in. I just thought you might like to know what it's like to be on the other end of a gag. What do you think of that? I think you're a louse. He's always doing things to kind of subvert expectations and destabilize an audience you know in in very subtle ways in very subconsciously weird ways i mean there's the obvious stuff shocks and the thrills and everything but then there's this other layered stuff that i don't always think he necessarily gets credit for Mm. which you see in like a lot of other kind of art movies or european movies okay here's an example um he hired and as he did sometimes, young screenwriters or new people to help him work on a script. And he had an idea from this short story, this novella called The Birds by Daphne du Maurier. And uh, I think she wrote the thing that Rebecca was based on as well. So he had some kind of history with her. Okay. Um, 
they totally changed the book. They, it has nothing to do with the book apparently at all. So this young screenwriter was trying to figure out how to tell a story about birds uh, and they had a location and whatever. And so he, he was trying to write a Hitchcock movie. So he cast in his mind as he was writing um, Grace Kelly and Cary Grant. So he just started there. And he was like, well, what a kind of movie would they do together? And they would do, he thought, a romantic comedy. And so he went to Hitchcock and he said, what if we do, and this was this guy, this was the screenwriter. I think his name is Evan Hunter. Um, yeah, Evan Hunter had the idea that the movie would literally be one half of it would be a romantic comedy. And then it would turn into a horror movie hmm. in the second half of it. And Hitchcock loved that idea. And so you're absolutely right. that It is intentionally like a Doris Day style technicolor kind of dry, witty sexual banter. Yeah. Rom-com where the two here, the two leads are kind of like antagonistic to each other. But at the end of the movie, they learn to love each other. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's all there, but it constantly chips away at what that is. So there's one ingredient that he, he actually takes away from the puzzle that makes it, incredible do you know do you know what i'm talking about there's one huge missing element to this movie that really makes it stand apart are you talking character wise or just how it's made overall how it's made okay. like big creative ideas well like I, one thing is no music there's no music yeah there's, there's no, no yeah. score it, at all it's, it's amazing so what what's crazy about it is that it increases the terror not having sound somehow helps the scary part yeah it also makes the rom-com part of it feel really surreal and weird because yeah. if you put strings behind this or kind yes. of like wah 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 interstitial yeah. like pa, pa, pa. you know yeah. all that stuff you heard from the 60s into the birds it would feel exactly like this kind of low-key rom-com he takes away and so you feel like you're in another land right away and it took me a while to figure out exactly why, but it's that combo of no music, we're in a rom-com, and then suddenly for no reason that rom romantic comedy becomes a, a terrifying experience. I love that. I watched it with Colleen, my wife, who she can't stand birds. Like she's got a thing against birds. She didn't want right. to watch it because she's scared of them anyway. And it ended and I went, huh, no music. And she went, oh yeah. <laughs> like she realized and like there was no music. Um, yeah, and even that scene, um, everything turns sour with Hitchcock somehow, like, or, you know, sour or weird or different or, like you said, off-putting. Like, so that scene, you think it's just two people being flirty, and they are on the surface of things. And, oh, molting season's the most important season, sir. And, like, oh, they're going to hook up, you know? And all of a sudden, she goes, wait a second, who, what did you just say? Who are you? Well, I saw you in court. And, you know, he's kind of giving it to her, you know? And she's, uh, it's just... You're all you're you're never you never you never know what's coming and it's always a little off. And then she's yeah. she makes a decision to kind of like chase him down and play one back on him. She's a very interesting character. She's uh not your typical, probably at the time, 1963, you know, dame who she she's ballsy. She plays practical jokes. They make allusions to her doing all kinds of wrong things, ending up in court, you know. Yeah, like, she's the same kind of socialite that um Ingmar Bergman plays a notorious, you know, he sometimes has these characters, these, these rich mm. kind of like socialite ne'er-do-well yeah. you know, women characters who are, you know, elegant and beautiful and don't play by the rules. They're kind of yeah. nihilists in a way. And she, yeah. you know, she's uh she, Tippy Hedren's definitely kind of, uh, you know, kind of trouble, you know, trouble. And, she, and, and what I love about her is that she totally owns it. She, yeah, she, she does admits it she doesn't have any problem saying like yeah i like to i i run with a rough crowd so what it's pretty yeah. pretty cool for for 1963. yeah and it's like she also like oh i'm gonna get a car and go out to this mysterious island and chase this guy down and get a boat by myself yeah and get the boat in my dress and my heels and go into his house and hide yeah. the birds like she is not your typical character She's and, and well, yeah, or crazy or, or crazy. Some, something's up like that <laughs> is an up. unusual thing to do that yeah. that level of, uh, you know, trying to get him back. I mean, this is a practical joke she's playing. This is, you know, in the guise of getting him back for kind of exposing her and making fun of her. Yeah. 
and proving to him that she's not a pushover because she can actually find out where he lives and go yeah. do this. And she does it in a mink coat. That's yes. the coolest part. Like she's yes. completely done up in this amazing Edith head costume with a fur coat on. Amelia loved that part that she was in a fur coat when she's in the, in the, in the motorboat going to his house and all of that come. And she handles it great. Like, she's not like, Oh, I don't know what, you know, how to ride a boat. She like knows how to operate the boat. She's yeah. totally cool. She's like, let's go. And, um, and uh, I, that's I feel like it's all really on purpose and on point for this movie. It makes total sense that she'd be like that. Yeah, and we find out she, you know she's got a bit of this past. He's got a bit of a past. She meets Susan Plachette, who plays a character who was involved with this character played by Rod Taylor. Like they're exes. There's almost like he leaves us wondering. I think if there's going to be danger there, you know, it's something I got to say right off the bat too is is. We are well more than halfway through this movie before there's a first big bird attack. The first big um, sequence happens at like 52 minutes. An hour in basically to a two-hour movie it takes yeah. to get the first big bird attack. Right. There's, there's one, one incident, you know, Tippy Hedren gets hit by one bird at one point, hits her head, cuts her. Right. That's the roughest thing that happens. Before that, you just get like weird omen vibes mm -hmm. of birds and things. But yeah, it takes forever. And it takes forever. And during that time, um, he's just leaving all these misdirects of like, well, is that going to come back and mean something bad? Like the way Susan Plachette looks at Tippy Hedren as Tippy Hedren drives away, she gives that like smokes a cigarette and scream. You go, uh oh, she's going to kill someone, you know? And, and, or Tippi the mom, or the mom, the mom played by Jessica Tandy, like, her, the look she gives you wonder if she's going to end up being like another psycho character at some point in the relationship yeah, with the son it's, it's, true, it's all man. it's all off and so you're yes. you're misdirected yes and, and it's all interesting it's all really interesting in the same way that psycho is psycho now look, how about that for two two movies back to back i'm gonna make psycho and then i'm gonna make the birds <laughs> and just before that i made vertigo and north by northwest and rear window i mean mm. This run of mid-period, late-period Hitchcock is just unbelievable. Yeah. So he makes Psycho, which is incredibly destabilizing. And like more than this movie sets you up to think something's happening, and then he switches it in the middle, very much like this movie. There's a big switch, but it doesn't go from romantic comedy to horror. It goes from thriller to horror. Yeah. So it's a less of a jump yeah. there, but you do lose the main character halfway through the movie or even before that. So you're... You're really destabilized and you're you're also you're also dealing with a situation where like in Psycho, I always think of what the, the first audiences think is going to be happening, right? Let's say you didn't see the preview and you just go to the movie. You don't really know. You know, it's Hitchcock. It's called Psycho. You're probably going to think that Psycho refers to Janet Lee, right? That he's talking about a woman going crazy, stealing this money and the murder that will happen because of that robbery. Right. Because right. she is kind of goes nuts in the beginning of that movie. She has like a fugue where she goes in to steal this money. And then you realize, oh no, Psycho is not. It's we're, this is much worse. It has nothing to do with it. <laughs> nothing the birds, to do with it. you go to this movie, British director, I'm assuming the birds is colloquial for these three women. Because in Britain, uh, kind of slang for women was birds, right? Birds, it wasn't yeah. necessarily so polite, but that's what they were called. So I think it's very much on purpose that you go thinking that, oh, this is literally a drama about these three women who Hitchcock is referring to as these birds. Yeah. And then he pulls the rug out from under you. It's these classic trips he plays on you every time, but he changes it just enough so you don't even expect that he's going to do it to you again. Yeah, and if there is some sort of like morality play or message in in this movie or any of these movies that he's made, I think one of the themes that, that shouts to me is like, no matter what you think your problems are or your issues are, when something like this happens to your life, be it a war or some catastrophic event, all those problems suddenly become very unimportant. And, and I think that's really... 
shown here. Like all the stuff we're talking about, all the minutia of the characters, the relationship between them, it all suddenly matters not at all. Because as soon as as soon as that first attack happens, it's like over. It's a different movie and it's a different relationship between everybody. They all band together. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. there's something to that. Well, that's really reflected even in the last moments of the movie that, you know, the last moments are they they come together as a family unit. Mm-hmm. It's a little patriarchal, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Um, Rod Taylor starts telling people what to do, yeah. kind of like his his father used to do, his mm-hmm. deceased father. He Ooh, takes control, yeah. but everybody st- kind of falls into their jobs and works together to get out of the house, to get to be headed into the car, to get the little girl to safety. No one's no one's complaining or freaking out about their stuff. They're just doing it, and then they get in the car, and there's this moment where Tippy Hedren's all bandaged up after the attack and she's lying in kind of Jessica Tandy's on her shoulder. And you can see Jessica Tandy taking care of her and this, she's like opens up her motherliness towards her. Yeah. Sippy Hedron, whose mother died, we learn and didn't have a mother finally accepts this love. And yes. so there's this healing thing that you feel is happening. Um, despite all this horror and that then the, the birds just become this metaphor for, the internal psychological struggle between these people and in mm. themselves, which I don't know. I, it makes this movie really special to me. I got, I, I, I honestly think this is my favorite Hitchcock movie. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, I love, I love a lot of them, but this is, this is like really special one to me. Um, I not love, for the moralizing thing, but for the layers of it. Yeah. There's a lot there. I love how, you talk about them coming together. And also I think what makes this movie unique is that every character goes through an arc themselves of how they handle this whole thing. Um, maybe with the exception of Rod Taylor, who's always mm. pretty heroic for the most part. Uh, yeah. But like the mother goes into a cat. She goes from hysterical crying, incapable of even getting out of bed. Woe is me. I'm so, I wish I was braver to then catatonic during one she watches her own daughter go get sick and watches tippy hedron take care of her and doesn't do anything and you're like oh wake up lady and then she has her moment where she does wake up and she helps tippy hedron and she becomes very heroic in those moments or you know helps out and the daughter the little girl goes through these different incarnations of her you know how she handles it and tippy hedron goes through different ways of how she handled it they have ups and downs and you in so many of these movies so many of these quote-unquote disaster movies or whatever it's like everyone is one note the brave guy's the brave guy the coward's the coward and right. you know what i mean and it's just so cool that he was always thinking psychologically like amelia your wife came on the show she said i love seeing psychology in films and i just think alfred hitchcock is ultimately interested in human psychology she's very rich isn't she yeah, I suppose so. The father's part owner of one of the big newspapers in San Francisco. You'd think he could manage to keep her name out of print. She's always mentioned in the columns, Mitch. Yes, I know. She is the one who jumped into a fountain in Rome last summer, isn't she? Yes. I suppose I'm old-fashioned. I know it was supposed to be very warm there, but... Well, actually, the newspaper said she was naked. Yes, I know, dear. Of course, it's none of my business, but when you bring a girl like that... Darling? Yes? I think I can handle Melanie Daniels by myself. Well, as long as you know what you want, Mitch. I think it also speaks to the standards of kind of dramatic writing of the time. Those standards are don't... They're different now. They, they, they don't quite exist. They were drawing from people who were, you know, really, really invested in, the, you know, dramatic structure and playwriting and 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 kind of like a tradition of, of, you know, how you build characters. It's, come, it's about, become kind right. of different now. Um, but that was kind of more interesting to people in the fifties and sixties. Um, uh, maybe and now I think it's become much more like the individual story and like, you know, just mm. like how I feel about stuff, which is fine, mm. but there's something kind of interesting, like objectively looking at humanity here. Yeah. In, in a way that like Kubrick really does. I mean, this is also mm. a very kind of like Kubrick kind of movie for him too, because mm-hmm. the structure is so strange, you know, to have the first part be a romantic comedy. And then the middle is a one act play right yeah, in the yeah. diner. Totally. Oh, that every the diner where, sequence. Let's talk about that. Every person on the planet is represented somehow, but not every person, but every point of view 
yes is is voiced in that diner yes you've got a the religious fanatic who Zealot. thinks it's yeah. it's the biblical end of days you've got uh -huh. the skeptical scientist who won't uh -huh. hear anything which is so cool for today's audience about how skeptics treat ufos and stuff <laughs> yeah um and then you've got you know the practical the, the, laborer the labor guy who's just like well i'm gonna choose not to freak out about it yeah. and i'm sure they've got it well in hand no no hold on if she says she's on. right yeah. the bartender who's just freaking out and wants to, wants an answer from everybody but doesn't have an opinion um the the, the hysterical neurotic you know mom um, who's having yep. a breakdown about it and just just starts to vilify tippy hedron mm -hmm. and blame her for stuff like super like uh superstition comes into it mm -hmm. so like then you got this one act play and then the, the last act is just sheer terror and sanity mm. you know to meld those together it's 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 almost like full metal jacket like in terms yeah. of like these weird breaks in storytelling and, and yeah. it's very modern and weird that way i just love it say something like this happened in santa cruz last year the town was just covered with seagulls will you please finish your drink that's right sir i recall it a large flock of seagulls got lost in the fog and headed into the town where all the lights were. And they made some mess too, smashing into buildings and everything. And they always make a mess. The point is that no one seemed to be upset about it. They were all gone next morning, just as though nothing at all had happened. Poor things. I'm leaving. Are you coming? All right, all right. Well, hope you folks figure this thing out. It's the end of the world. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that, and that goes back to what I was saying before. Like he, he, he thinks about who the different people are, and he takes the time to go, like, okay, now who is this person, and mm. are they going to change during this? Not just react, but actually change a little bit, and that makes it also very interesting. Like it's not just your normal horror movie. In fact, I said, I said to Colleen something after we were done watching. I said, "Gosh, you know, Tony loves those kind of grindhouse or even pre-grindhouse, like those fifties kind of." fun horror. horror movies and stuff yeah. yeah 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 and i'm like boy the birds a 1963 movie with you remove alfred hitchcock from that and there's about a 99.9 percent .9 chance it's going to be forgotten schlocky uh creature <laughs> yeah. double feature in a drive-in forgotten right? by most but not by me but yeah i get <laughs> right, what right. you mean yeah but, you know it's just going to be silly and overtly ridiculous and the birds right. are gonna, but it's like he because he does all this stuff it's like it makes it so damn interesting and so good oh, you know i mean look i don't i i I can see the difference between movies made in the 60s and today. I know what CGI looks like. I know yeah. there's a certain thing people strive for in terms of realism now that I look back at this movie and I am still blown away at how it looks, first of all. And not even despite it being from 63. And I think the reason is because all of it's just of a piece. You know, the way it's photographed, the way that the kind of Technicolor film stocks they're using, it, it, the way they studio light the it, it it all those of practical effects are perfectly woven into this movie and they were pushing the envelope almost as much as like stanley kubrick in 2001 later i mean it, it to get to get these okay for instance something that i didn't even know until recently in the bird attack when they first come in through the chimney and all the sparrows come in i want to talk about that scene yes go ahead i'm glad you brought it up um it it okay you know there are real sparrows coming out of that chimney in the close-up because you can see yeah, them that's obviously what's that. happening yeah, uh -huh. but according to tippy hedron when they shot that they got all the sparrows to come down the chimney but then they were they just chilled out they just came right. in and sat around yeah, right and they were having a fine time so they they couldn't figure out how to agitate them and they didn't really want to they they actually tried not to harm these birds so they did a pretty right. good job apparently um so they had to fake it they had to put all those birds in post. Wow. Those actors aren't reacting to a single solitary prop or real bird in that room when they're You're running around. You're kidding me. No. And I thought it was a mix. I mean, I, I thought they I assumed some. every scene was a mix. A few birds and then no. tons of overlay. Wow. Not one real bird in that room in that shot for that freak out. Incredible. So the, the, the technical achievement is, is also just incredibly crazy. I want to talk about that scene for its shock value. Um, it's hard to shock a modern audience uh, 
And he does. This, he does. This is this has got a few I, things in it that are. I like, forgot. What? I completely forgot how that scene happens. Um, and again, I talk about that tennis player thing. Like, in the there's a scene in the playground, that famous, very iconic scene where she's lighting a cigarette, Tippy Hedren, and then one crow lands, and then another crow lands, and then he does a reverse, and it's like the whole playground is filled with crows. That is a long, suspenseful awesome warning you know it's cut but it's like so well done it's long play and then the scene like the finches coming out of the chimney happened so fast and so off-putting that i was just i lost my brother oh my god yeah. they're literally talking about like yeah. directions how to get from here to there right yeah and one bird she sees one bird and she thinks about it, you go okay here's a long time of her thinking about birds like nope next breath it's just, yeah. it was so well done. That road can be a pretty bad one at night, too, you know. Well, if I go across to Santa Rosa, I'll come out on the freeway much earlier, won't I? Yes, and the freeway is much quicker. Yeah, but she'll be hitting all the heavy traffic going back to San Francisco. Just listen to those lovebirds. Mitch. The way he can, you know, compresses time and uses time to his advantage to to make things suspenseful. He shortens things a lot. Like I could see a modern audience looking at some of this and going, like him and George Tomasini, his editor, who's great, great editor, of course, did Psycho as well. You know, you didn't finish that. You didn't finish nailing up that board before you came down the ladder. Like there's a lot of stuff where they just compress stuff. Yeah but oh right yeah it's all in service to keeping the story moving fast yeah. and getting to the parts where you paid your ticket to come see it and then once that part comes he's guaranteeing that he's going to keep shifting that car in a way you're not expecting it yes yes so it's not enough just that like he has her sitting there in close-up and then they cut back to the birds on the playground and then back to her it's how many times they do it and then yeah. the fact that he knows every other director would cut back and show you more progression, but that yes. he lays on this close-up of her for like 30 seconds, and then they cut back and there's a billion of them. Like before you can even breathe. It's just and, destabilizing. And again, Everything <clears throat> he does is to kind of unmoor you and, and it's incredible. Yeah, and the way he plays with that pacing, again, like, cause there'll be that type of pacing and then there'll be the very long play. Like that famous quote, he has that famous quote about the bomb. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've, yeah, like you, the way to shoot suspense, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, I'll do a terrible job for those who haven't heard it. He basically said his philosophy was like, you can show a bomb under a table and show the people talking and dialogue and then the bomb goes off. And and that's all scary and exciting. He's like, but there's another way to do it. And that is to show a villain come in and plant the bomb, set the bomb. You see that the bomb is set for one o'clock and then show the clock says 1230. And then have those people deliver their entire dialogue with them not knowing there's a bomb there about to go off at 12 uh, one o'clock and it's 12 30. Yes. And he so he does that and he lays it out like that. But then in the very next scene, it'll be something sudden. So you just don't know where to stand and where to be comfortable. And that makes it so awesome. It's yeah. just yeah, it's just and makes him constantly to me extremely modern. He's always reaching, you know. That's the thing about him, you know, as a as a filmmaker that I think is inspiring to a lot of filmmakers is not just the body of work or how successful he was, but he just kept pushing the technology and pushing himself in the storytelling, seeing how much leaner it could be. And he kept adapting even in his 60s and 70s. He was mm -hmm. making really challenging movies. His last few movies are actually really weird, interesting, and challenging. And his last big thriller, Frenzy, is is really disturbing. Mm. And really like the work of a much younger, weirder guy than we thought. He, you know, like he uh, he he just kept on pushing it uh, uh, as an art form. Amazing. Um, so it, yeah, it's really inspiring. The the lack. Let's talk about his like we had mentioned before his like lack of sound, his lack of lighting at times to a brilliant effect. Like I saw this quote, the musician, um, who was it? it was Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones. He said, you know, I pay as much attention to the chords. I don't play in between the chords. I choose, you know, it's those silences. It's the, eh, 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 eh. you know, the silence, the, yes. the, the, I think of that with, with this movie with Hitchcock, like there's a great scene where Tippi Hedren, it's one of the most disturbing scenes where she's attacked by the birds in the bedroom. Oh, man. And it so reminds me of like Psycho or something. Again, like his lack being his brilliance is just 
the spotlight up the stairs, like her flashlight. I imagine he used some sort of camera light or something. I don't know, but it's just that. It's just that light. And it's so disturbing with no music. It's it's like as good as any horror movie moment ever, just her going up the stupid stairs, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's you like, know what's gonna be on the other side of the door. Yeah, you kind, but not, you kinda don't. Like in a way, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, you're pretty sure it's gonna be Brad Birds of something. <laughs> right, but at like, that point I'm so like disoriented by what he's been doing to me yeah. i'm like is there going to be like one giant killer bird mm -hmm. what you know he's just and that sequence is is it goes on and on and on oh. and poor tippy hedron you know yeah. i mean <clears throat> yeah i mean I guess... uh, look i got it's it's hard it, it's hard to praise uh the work of alfred hitchcock these days without at least uh, you know bringing into the conversation yeah something that i i you know i i think you you really do kind of have to these days separate the art from the artist in order to enjoy things i guess more um yeah because we know be... everything about everybody back then you didn't yeah. know right? it needs to be said that you know he did put some people through hell doing this movie and tippy hedron got uh a lot of abuse on this thing and she shot that that uh, attic scene for five days and and was told that there weren't going to be any live birds in that sequence that they were mechanical mm -hmm. The problem was apparently that the birds, mechanical birds didn't look good and they didn't tell her until that she got to the set and they're like, sorry, you're going to be locked in a room with them for, you know, literally like throwing birds at her. They face. tied, they tied birds to her. They tied birds to her costume. And they started pecking her and. She was pretty badly cut up and, 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 and fried out by that experience then. Um, and then you know it went and then the and then it got worse because in a way like that's one thing like in a way you sign up to do an action movie and it's like uh, it's horrible you're gonna get you're gonna get hurt yeah. except some of those things but then she got you know kind of blacklisted by him for not just being on call for any project he wanted to, and and it got obsessional and weird and that's really too bad it's really yeah. too bad that yeah. his legacy has got to be you know, I, I'm not going to say marred or dismantled, but it is a little, it's really, it's, it's a shame that great work sometimes comes at the expense of you know, yeah. people's uh, humanity. It's too bad. Yeah, it is. And we should mention that, that there are allegations. He kind of became obsessed with her and, and she, well, said, he but got obsessed with all of the, all the blonde women that he, that he worked with. It won't stop us from examining it or, you know, saying it's great. It just, it's just something that is, you know, particularly because like, Tippy Hedren's so great. Yeah. I mean, who, who, what, who else could you imagine stepping into that hard role, that that unbelievably difficult shoot with no acting experience? I mean, she'd never been a lead in a movie before. She'd been in commercials. You know, she has this kind of. Um, it's almost like a Lee Majors esque or or Michael Lennon esque kind of like <laughs> side smile. She does it usually only like cowboys did in movies like you know what i'm talking about this little smile this yeah. dry like oh yeah. f you smile and it's so good yeah. it's so good it's like um she's gonna give them what for and even her dialogue with the mother this scary overbearing kind of oedipalistic mother character she gives it right back to her too there's a line of dialogue where the mother says um you know well i i don't even know if i like you and mm -hmm. she says, well, well, so what? Like, yeah, what does it matter if you like that make? Yeah, What difference yeah. does that make? She's just like so ballsy. Yeah. She's I want to be that. I want to be like her. I want to be <laughs> yeah. her. She's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that and I'm, you know, not to get into this. I don't want to get into this, but it is heartbreaking and weird that Hitchcock could have a character like that, this strong woman, and then in real life, treat her as he did it's it's like this big disconnect right like he it, it is he, it's he admired shame. it but then he wanted to dominate her so this it's particularly sad. this particularly uh, i i find upsetting in the sense that i i can't imagine like, from her interviews and things i've heard her say i can't imagine a cooler stronger person than tippy hedron who was completely game for this right. and the sad part is that somebody who was completely game to even sign up for like the tough stuff then you got to push it you know that's Still that's really ruined. a yeah. shame you know um yeah yeah but you know okay irregardless um she still <clears throat> shines in the movie 
oh. and did other great work. And um, there's an incredible amount of great actors in this movie, including Elizabeth Wilson, who I I was dear friends with. What? Elizabeth Wilson, who plays um, the waitress in the diner, Helen Carter. Um, uh, she's she's one of she she died a few years ago. She's one of my dearest friends, a family friend. And um, you got to tell me this stuff before I watch the movie so I can pay extra attention to those roles. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Does she have any stories about being on set with Hitchcock? Like, do you remember at ever she, coming up? She, uh, well, she was only there for a week. I sure. think they shot that diner stuff for a week. So she wasn't, I think, on, you know, in Bodega Bay shooting the outside stuff. But she had a great time. She said she had enormous fun. She was with a lot of friends. It was like sure. a lot of theater actors in that yeah, scene. Yeah. So I think yeah, she, yeah. she had a great time and had nothing but respect for Hitch as, you know, as uh, most actors did, or at least said they did. She was, right, she was right. very, you know, she played it by the book. Right. Liz. She was incredible. Wow, great what a great piece of history uh, that you were in your one degree of separation from Alfred Hitchcock movie. That's pretty awesome. Um, man, that's so cool. I didn't know that. And then also something cool I didn't know either, but uh, in, in researching this for this watch, um, that it was based partly on a some on an actual event that Hitchcock learned about yeah. where, where these birds had eaten some sort of they went after the uh... algae or something right. and, and started like bombing into things and committing bird suicide and well also attack they also killed a bunch of uh lambs apparently there was an attack of of uh from crows on a bunch of lambs when they were shooting this they said that was completely anomalous and weird so i gotta tell you something that happened in my life uh so this is weird on sunday as we record this it is a thursday on sunday of this week the power in my house kept going on and off mm room and firing back on again like that quick and we're like what is going on everything had to get reset things were beeping my dog's freaking out because beeping and then like an hour go by room, room, go back on again we're like what is going on it happened five times come to find out monday morning uh doing my morning radio show i put it out to the local community does anyone know why the power is going out around here it were it was birds osprey that had planted a big nest on this uh power plant area that made the power going on so i started talking during my morning show about how you and I were doing the birds coincidentally and birds are wreaking havoc. Now it gets weirder. It gets weirder. So that's Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. I'm talking more about, I actually do a mini review of the birds cause I had watched it for the show on my morning radio show. I started talking about the birds cause we do a segment called what you watching and we give recommendations and stuff. So I was like, Oh, I was watching the old classic, the birds and the birds and the birds and Alfred Hitchcock and the birds. Well, we got a clip sent to us. The same morning I was doing that review, the local news in Providence started out one of the reports with, like a scene out of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, downtown Providence is overrun with seagulls right now. What? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's totally right. separate from Weird. my Osprey thing and from this, the seagulls have been congregating in downtown Providence because of this weird fish anomaly where the fish are dying and it's like a, a free-for-all for them. So something's going on with birds this week. I don't want to know what it is. But I feel like we should call in Dan Shackner, somebody, an expert. Yeah. We got to be worried. careful on this show with great power comes great responsibility. I mean, we can't just decide to do disaster movies just at random anymore. We got to think about this. Isn't that weird, though? Like it's yeah. just bird after bird after bird thing this week, yeah. all week. So I don't know who's trying to tell us what, but uh, something's going on with the birds. A scene out of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Look at this, a swarm of seagulls converge on downtown Providence. Viewers say they've noticed the influx of gulls for more than a week now. So what is drawing them to the river near the pedestrian bridge? And, and to that end, let's talk about some of the theories that people have about what the birds might represent or some things that people think about it. Like uh, there's a shot of seagulls coming down it's an awesome Well, you're shot. talking about the overhead, the famous overhead shot. The famous overhead. This one yeah. seagull comes into frame. Another one comes into frame over the town. As it's incredible. It's incredible. And I thought to myself, uh, this is post-World War II, 1963. Uh, and I was like, boy, that could be like, that is such a Pearl Harbor-esque type of scene. Um, and then also at that time, you're, so you're post-Pearl Harbor, but then everyone's scared of the nuclear thing. Um, and just, you know, how, how that aerial view and the lack of control of something coming out of the sky to wreck your town and wreck your life. 
It's it's stunning. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely that's, there. That's there. But I mean, you know, there's also, I mean, whose point of view is it? It's not moving, first of all. So it's it, it's a stationary. That's what's, it's a, again, very destabilizing. It, it, you're watching the birds who come down above you and then float down below you actually become mm. kind of like above them looking yeah, down it's like at the floating town. down yeah yeah but you're com- we're completely still and i'll tell you something else that i didn't hear until the last time i i saw this talk about sound design there's something else in that shot and i don't know if you heard it it's breathing oh god no hear some it's almost sounds like darth vader breathing wow. it's a weird like and and i'm like is this god's point of view is that uh, god breathing like uh, what it's really unnerving go check uh, that sequence watch that out again. and see if you can hear it because it wow. really was pointed it wasn't like any other effect it wasn't wing sound it was like wow. something breathing and it was really creepy that's reinforced what's creepy about this shot because it's a little subliminal because out of nowhere you're in this chaos and then you have this beautiful god's eye view of the town and the fire and these birds coming in and it's it the silence and the stillness and the beauty of it make it more terrifying absolutely how do you do do that and if it is uh you know to that point that is another big theme is nature itself you know yeah um, nature itself exacting its revenge on us for whatever humanity is doing to the yeah. earth and that, that makes was... a lot of sense to be it you know that theme you feel that be it pandemic or animals or, yeah. or the earth itself you because know. he doesn't explain it or because him and evan hunter the writer didn't don't explain it to you you're you're left really feeling that the reason they can't explain it is because this is retribution this is yes. the natural order of yes. things or a religious comeuppance or something that is a little bit beyond our understanding or or it's somehow payback and hitchcock actually used that in the advertisements for the movie one of the famous ones he did was just him kind of talking in his office about this i've new seen movie, that the clips that i've got you yes know, and, yes those little um, blah, blah, blah. but he talks about like how we've abused them for thousands of years or all through human history and that we've subjugated them and eaten them and made them into feathers on our hats and stuff and how maybe it's time for the tide to turn so i really think that is the basis of what he's talking about. Man has not been unmindful of his debt to the bird. We have honored our feathered friends in many ways. We cage birds and show them off proudly in most of our zoos. And the turkey is traditionally our guest of honor at Thanksgiving. And I think the way, if this makes sense, even the natural way the birds attack, it reminds me actually of like tides. Uh, ocean tides hmm. so they they come in a wave right and then they, they retreat mm-hmm. back and they come in a wave and they retreat back it's like it, if, if it did happen it feels like it would happen something yes. like that some yeah. sort of weird natural instinct to attack and then you know lay back yeah and, and i thought that was so brilliant as opposed to just a constant onslaught and i love that it wasn't explained i love it this is an example of not knowing and this is typical hitchcock again the less you see the more frightening it is the fact that they could just kind of like walk through them it made it more disturbing somehow. Right. Like, what are they yeah, doing? Because what are they yeah, doing, you don't know. Birds? You just don't know it. Uh, you know, it, you know what Hitchcock is saying, you know, he's saying it's not over. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to get away from this house, but we don't know what the trip to San Francisco is going to be. Uh huh. And we and don't know, soft top. you know, and then you hear on the radio at one point, you know, the news is saying that this is actually a local event. It's not yes. worldwide. It's just yes. happening in Bodega Bay. But yeah. that last shot seems to imply it's going to get, it's going to grow from It's here. building. Yes. Yeah. And and it's so warlike too. That's, you know, back to the war analogy that yeah. I noticed and people have made is, is, you know, listening on the radio to those reports is so World War Two. Everyone's yes, very on much the radio. So. Uh, yeah. News of a bombing happening in London. Yeah. You know, particularly the Blitz, which I don't know if Hitchcock actually experienced, but being he must a Brit, have, right? must he have, must have certainly that, had that some been, real. Yeah. Well, he was in the states during oh, the, I okay. think, most of the war. Well, but I, his I'm country sure, did. But well, that's that what I'm saying. Like he, I'm sure heard it. It, it probably felt the Blitz very personally. Yes. I'm sure. Yes. Um, 
And it does feel like that. You know, there's another thing that I just want to bring up too is how connected it is to another one of our favorite movies of all time. I mean, certainly mine, Jaws. I mean, this is yeah. Jaws owes so much to the DNA of this movie and and not just the nature out of balance thing, because Jaws is equally kind of unexplained. Yep. Shark is not behaving in ways that are normal or rational. Science can't explain, you know, like Hooper can't explain why the shark is doing this. Did you just give us a license to do Jaws? I think you might have. You, uh, look, you, Jaws three three D. He acts completely <laughs> paranormal. He just straight up f- follows them to a Caribbean island. So I think I'm gonna say we we got to be careful. There's <laughs> there's right, a whole off. podcast dedicated to Jaws. <laughs> all right, all right. And they're great. Their podcast right. is great. Um, <laughs> Favorite scenes. Tough to do in a Hitchcock movie, but as we look, wind down uh, here and get to our top three, top three high pants of all time. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I there, there's this movie is full of scenes that I just, I'm in, I'm in awe of, I, I mean, and sequences like just uh, piled on top of each other. Every attack sequence in it, every bird attack is better than the last. Um, I love that diner scene. I gotta say, I just, I could watch that one act play. It's a one act play. Yep. You got <laughs> every it. day. I just, I think it's brilliant and, and it's kind of a long sequence, but I just think it's, it's just mesmerizing and so weird that it happens in this long kind of idyllic conversation in the middle of this horror movie. It's almost like an Agatha Christie, like who done yeah. it knives out. There was yep. the next guy comes yep. up and delivers a line. Yeah. It's but I gotta say, if I'm going to condense it further, there's a moment. There's a little scene between Tippy Hedren and, you know, uh, the, the, the woman who plays the freaked out mom in the oh, diner. Yes. yes. When she says, it's you, you started, you came here, you're evil. And she, Tippy Hedren smacks her across the face. <laughs> yes. For real. And her reaction is so brilliant and funny and deranged in that close up. Oh my God. I could, I, I, I could see that every day. I love it. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here, the whole thing started. Who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil! Evil! And then Tippy Hedren immediately has regret and just oh, is yeah. overwhelmed. It's so I good. I keep on thinking that woman is Rachel Drage. And I think we should oh, yeah, redo she does it with Rachel like Drage playing that part. It might be her mother. It might be Rachel. So I think it's great. It, yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Do you have a favorite scene? I do. Um, I had mentioned it early, uh, the stairway up with yeah. the one light. To, but then there's another hallway scene I think I'd pick as my favorite. It's when the mother... Oh enters and exits to see the man with no eyes oh my like, god those that's two so hallway good. shots right love it and it's such a simple sequence it's not discussed a lot but oh my god does he handle that well <laughs> i mean the, when, when he goes from wide shot to close up to her point of view and those three jump cuts into his face that are happening so abruptly oh it's so good and the way she runs out of the hall he's got it mm-hmm. framed at the end of the hall and she kind of does that drops run, her purse silent and yeah silent almost gagging she's like gagging yeah. it's just it's so good and i'm like oh man that is so hitchcock and just so wonderful yeah dad are you home i have a number of just i mean favorite shots and moments the overhead shots incredible goes on and on and on really the guy exploding in the car oh. in the in the i mean that is just totally forgot that even dropping. happened yes um but my favorite shot in the movie every single time is the shot of those two lovebirds in the car in her coupe going side to side as she takes <laughs> yeah. those turns and they start <laughs> leaning and then they lean this way best yes. shot in the movie i love so it good and what, a, yeah. why is she driving like that? Like, like a maniac. Like a maniac. And they're just kind of, yeah, that's so good. It's my favorite. Hilarious. It's like a little Warner Brothers cartoon in the middle yes. of the yes. movie. Makes you think, like, are those, are the lovebirds, like, did are they controlling this somehow? Right. Like, are they somehow in this? Because they keep cutting to these little lovebirds mm-hmm. who aren't violent. They're not doing anything, but they're just kind of, like, looking. And I'm like, 
are they the masterminds of all of this? Right. And, and are they not attacking at the end because they're carrying the lovebirds out? I don't know. Yeah. And then she says, uh, can they come out? They didn't do anything. Or did they? they? Keep bringing, or did they? They could be the alien masterminds. Yeah, man. I mean, just a classic for a reason. I just enjoyed this so much. I want to go down a, a Hitchcock rabbit hole now. I think the next three movies I'm going to watch are going to be Hitchcock movies I haven't watched in a long time. I want to rewatch uh, Rear Window. I haven't seen that in forever. Brilliant. Uh, Vertigo, so I want to rewatch. I haven't watched that in forever. I think I saw that when I was a kid and I remember being blown away, you know, like in my teens. Um, so, yeah, it's time for more Hitchcock in my life. And then, of course, uh, I do a, I do, I watch Psycho pretty much every Halloween. Um, yeah, I see that a lot. I see. Oh my God. A so great. You seen the t- Notorious. Um, yes. Or... I, I haven't seen that last film that you mentioned. Frenzy. One of his, Frenzy, Frenzy is like his third to last, I guess. Frenzy. Like I've never seen Frenzy. I'm and that's a, that's that. a creepy, yeah. dirty, <laughs> dirty little movie. That's yeah. Yeah. I've read um, stuff about it, but I've never seen it. All right. Well, let's do it then. Um, the birds. Yeah. We're, I mean, you know, uh, Capital P for paranormal, right? P for paranormal, dude. I mean, look, Hitchcock makes one one movie that could be paranormal. I would go on on this shelf if it was a quarter good as this. (laughs) Yeah, telling you this movie. I see this movie a lot, and I just like it more and more. It, I, I, it's, it's, it's a Hitchcock movie. I cannot stop. If it's on, it's on. Like I can't turn it off. No, I agree. It's magic. Maybe it's a P for parrot. Something. Okay, we'll talk about the delineations. Let's get to our top three. High pants in film history. These are people who wear their pants up super high. Of course, when we first see our lead, Rod Taylor, kind of take his jacket off, he's wearing these kind of, they're almost army fatigue-like type of slacks, khakis, um, and they're, you know, <laughs> really up high as the, they're the like, style. They're then. dungarees. Yeah. I think they are dungarees. I, I would say they're kind of like field khaki because they got the weird side pockets. Like carpenter like, pant dungaree. It's like, it's like almost like a military carpentry, but it's but they're very tall. They're very like actually they're more like 40s and 50s style than 63 to me. But um well they're always well, wearing them. I mean he's yeah. worn these pants for years. Right. He had them in the war. Right. That's what it looks like. They yeah. look like his old war, yeah, yeah. His Korea war pants. Yeah, that's so, what they were. <laughs> We we came when he came out as ascot that got me, but then the pants were you know that's just too good. So uh, should we do the honorary name yes. for the list? Yes. Uh, sh- should we call it the uh, the Ed Grimley's the Ed Grimley <laughs> honorary <laughs> high pants award? Perfect. Never worn better by anybody. Yes. Okay. So the Grimleys. All right. So well, my number three then is going to be um, uh, uh, Walter Brennan and Rio Bravo. <laughs> Walter Brennan played the old timer cowboy. Yes, in in all the old John Ford movies. Yeah, he was the and old. Some uh, of the Howard Hawks movies. Yeah, why and, are you going out there? Yeah, I want to yeah. get you. Yeah. On it. That's yeah. Walter Brennan. Yeah, and he always <laughs> had the pants higher than you could believe. Yes. yes, and in Rio Bravo, they're they're up to about his pectoral muscles. Yeah, I see. I'm I've googled some images. Fantastic choice. Do you know there was a comedian named Jeff Altman? Who used to do a bit about his dad pulling his pants up. He's like, by the time the the final line was like, by the time I was in college, he was just a neck and a belt or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> we should have mentioned that. Um, that's a great one, Tony. Great one. My number three uh, is the kind of inspiration for this word in, in a way, because when I was watching Rod Taylor's pants in The Birds, I'm going, what do they remind me of? They remind me of somebody's pants that I've seen recently. And then it hit me because of the military thing. They reminded me a little bit of Kenneth Toby in The Thing. Uh, <laughs> okay. There's scenes when he's in like the calf talk of the lady. He's got the same type of kind of militaristic, and they're mm. just a little too well over the belly button. Well uh, over. Just well pulled over. up like this military type of high khaki, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, for sure. Flat front pants. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Even the alien himself in The Thing. Yeah, he's, he has he, high pants. He does. He's wearing, I think it might even be a one piece. I'm not sure, but the belt is so high. Too high. It, yeah, it's weird. It's the illusion. That <laughs> that's why, very high that's why John Carpenter remade it. It's just like those pants. Just yeah, it's too high. Gotta do redo it. Too high. Well, he probably is like, I want to make Maddie and Tony's list of the highest pants of all time. <laughs> uh, how about your number two, Tony? Okay, my number two is uh, is a split between um, the pants from the same, split? From the same movie. <laughs> okay. Uh the pants that Humphrey Bogart wears 
in the Maltese Falcon are typically high. He Humphrey Bogart really could be the honorary member of the. He he had the highest pants of any star. Yes. In an in an admittedly high pants time. Yes, it was the they were salad days even higher, pants. maybe an inch yeah. higher than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. So he has these high pants, and then who has higher pants than him? Well, Sydney Greenstreet's high pants get a, their own close-up in this movie. Sydney <laughs> Greenstreet, who's a very <laughs> large man, yeah, uh, and sometimes very large men have to you know, do have higher pants. Yes, but these are used to great advantage because in a low-angle shot of him sitting down, you see the his pants, and the top of his pants are most of the shot, <laughs> and they're up to about his chin. It's great. Uh, Hitchcock himself, I'm sure, wore very high pants. No doubt. Those big suits. No doubt. Um, My number two is Klaatu from The Day the Earth Stood Still. Okay. Um, His pants were very tight. Again, a high belt and also Again, is it a suit or a belt? Maybe it's a a Um, one piece, but... But they, they, it's way too tight. I'm pretty sure they're pants because I Googled images of it. I'm like, I remember them being very high and looking uncomfortable. Was right. it Michael Rennie or someone who played that part? Yes. Well, uh, uh, Michael Rennie played. Uh, oh no, I know who you're talking about. Yes, they, they, yes. I thought you were meaning Gort for a second. No, robot. no, Klaatu, Michael the guy Rennie, with the yeah, message. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot you didn't at... say Barada Nick too, and I got confused. But I'm um, sorry. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, it does look to be like they're high and tight. That's it. No, I feel they're like I, I think people in top... the 50s were very concerned about their spleens and think high organs. <laughs> okay. Like they wanted to protect the kidney spleen area my memory served me well I, i've got an image of it here he it's it's definitely a shirt tucked into pants yeah there's some sort of band going across the middle of the pants they're super yeah. they're just like boy they were really into tucking in hard they were hard tuckers in the 50s they, I, that shirt uh, yeah. is jammed it, in those pants yeah <laughs> all these dudes had been yelled at by like marines in world yes, war ii in yes. korea and they were like tuck, tuck your pants in yes they remembered oh god that's good that is yeah. Those are some high pants. Uh, okay, Tony, you're you're number one, right? Yeah, we're at number one. My number one. I mean, I'm 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 sorry, my friend. It's got to be Tom Selleck in Magnum. The yes. jeans with the fra- the flat pockets that he'd wear yep. that would literally yep. be like, it's below. It's right under his ribs. Like yes. it comes up literally to his ribs. Yes, those are his navel jeans. Like what they well, were kind of flared. They were like navy yes. man's jeans. Yeah, yeah way but they too were blue hot. jeans. I mean, yes, that, that, yes. Uh, they're navy whites that look like that. But then if you have, but these are like hippie. It's like it's the pants that I'm convinced that Harrison Ford wore when he was building uh, sound stages as a carpenter. Those are naval deck man's because he was a navy man. Those are naval deck man's work pants, and he pulled them up way too high. They were they were. Uh, bell bottoms as was the style yeah, for the navy yeah. men and yeah and his shorts also way too high way, way too, too high. short well you do see you you get to see some things if you have the if you have them pulled up high there are benefits apparently to this for some men that they choose to uh, hey, burt reynolds, you know, reynolds also knew that trick he was very yes. good at that trick yes you know if you got the gams flaunt them i say whether you're a magnum or whoever do, do, else which it wasn't gams I was talking about for know, the record. But I know you're cleaning up my act for me. Thank you. You have a number one. <laughs> I want to keep talking about Magnum's legs. Um, yeah, my number one is uh, George Reeves as Superman when he was Clark Kent. Oh yeah. Whenever he was Clark Kent, he wore those suits, and they would be up to his like mid stomach. Yeah. If I gotta say, chest. even when he was Superman, again, pretty yes. high. Yes. Pretty damn high. Yes. So good. Um, I got two honorable mentions. I don't know if you have any. I've got one honorable mention. And, well, I had two, but uh, actually, Ed Grimley was going to be one of them. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so um, he's, the, he's the award. I got to say Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners. Yes. That's some good high pants. Yes. And he used them to his advantage. Like, he adjusts himself. Yes. That's great. Yes, as he would deliver a line, he'd constantly yep. uh, adjust them. Yes. Uh, fantastic choice. My honorable mention was uh, the great... And it's a tie to our director, Hitch, um, the great Jimmy Stewart in It's Wonderful Life. Um, the pants he wears throughout that movie in several mm-hmm. different scenes. Uh, right. The football pants are too big. If you remember, he keeps hiking them they up. They are around very his. high. When he reaches for Zuzu's pedals, he's basically reaching at nipple height, if you remember. Right, he's sitting, yes. But it's like they're ridden yeah, up. Let me get them out of my watch fob pocket <laughs> I, 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 and feel I, I, myself I just, up while I'm, yeah, no, like, well, stop it, Jimmy. 
<laughs> it's more like a watch pocket. It's like, oh, yeah. Dude. It's like, why yeah. are you dressed like Willy yes. Wonka? What is going on? So, oh, that's one of my favorite top threes ever. We got to just say, though, I mean, mm-hmm. there is one we're forgetting. Michael Palin as the git in oh. all the interstitial Monty oh. Python sketches. Oh, wow. Pants up to his shoulders. Up to his shoulders. Yeah, probably an inspiration for Ed Grimley, actually. I think, think so. About it, right? I really do. I think yeah. original Ed Grimley. Sure. Oh, that's a great call. Uh, who are we missing? If we forgot anyone, let us know. Uh, I bet you Charlton Heston had some high damn pants at some point. I'm thinking of like, you know, if you just watched one episode of say like leave it, leave it to Beaver or oh, something, you just, just like, be like, you get all the high pants you can tolerate. Every character actor who played like the mayor yeah. or the sheriff, better yet, uh, flipper, because you have oh. all the bathing suits with no shirt like oh. coming up way yeah. up high. Yeah, better bring that look back. A super high bathing suit. I'm doing it now. I think it's time to wrap this up. Talk about his cocky and. <laughs> oh. And on that note, we'll be back next week as we review the new movie called Megan. That's M three G A N for those of you looking for it in a Google search. So go watch Megan about a robotics engineer at a toy company building a lifelike doll that let's just say gets a little too lifelike, Tony. (laughs) Impossible. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Rated P for Paranormal. Please rate, review, and share. It really does make a difference. On social media, we're at Rated Paranormal. All music is by Andrew Goldens Jr. You can find him on Instagram at KidRiga or go to therocketscience.bandcamp.com. This podcast was created, written, produced, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. get you my yeah. on it.